Oh. Hello, is that angry? Tis. Hello. I think I called I think I prank called you before. Sorry? Did you get a prank call from us? Uh, I wouldn't say a prank call. Well, I got a call a couple of minutes ago and I picked it up and there was no one there. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just prank called Angry Anderson. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's a prank call, really, because did you mean to do it? Look, if you didn't hear any naughty words down the end, then it's all fine. No, nah, that was very disappointing. Because oh. um, well, I, don't, I don't mind a bit of, you know... Yeah, being a mature adult, I mean, um, I'm able to uh, enjoy the odd blue banter, as they say. <laughs> now, you, 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 let's just kick into it. That's a great start. Uh, now, you, you are older. You are admittedly older, and it, it's hard to ignore that because <laughs> the band has got such a thick history. You can't even lie about it. Yeah, no. I mean, well, you get to it. One of the great, one of the good things, I mean, there's a lot of positive aspects to getting older, as you say. I'll be 70 this year. Um, one of the great things about... Hang on, hang on. Angry Anderson is going to be 70 years old next year. This year. This year. Um, yeah. Um, one of the great things that happens, like, 40 was a bit traumatic, I have to say. This will all be in the book. Well, it's all be covered in the book. But 40 was, turning 40 was a bit traumatic. Turning 50 was a delightful surprise, and it opened up uh, just wonderful possibilities, and it, and it was a, a life changing episode, like pivotal moment, if you like, if you can put uh, changes down to pivotal moments. And, I, and there's, there's catalysts that, that, you know, we call pivotal moments, like the birth of my daughter changed my life, you know, forever. I, I gave up the three things that I love most in the world for her. So that was a very pivotal moment. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, when you get to 60 and you think, you know what, the next, the next decade birthday... Um, you know, it'll be, it'll be 70. And I mean, it's just like, um, you know, so what? And you cease, you cease worrying about certain things. And of course, then other things become of concern to you because you realise, you say, well, you know, that's why I want to start new musical adventures. And, and I had, I did, I started a couple of years ago to put plans into being, so to speak, so that, but, um, and they're slowly coming to fruition because um, like the AA band, which is my own band, um, is is now finally a physical reality, and that um, that'll um, you know that that will sub- that'll satisfy my hunger, my lust for my you know whatever for uh, you know this, the the next episode of that part of my musical experience and adventure, which is you know the heavy part, which the tats always used to fulfil, but um, and of course you know there's. There's a, and there's a couple of other musical projects that I've got planned. What is that? What, what else can you fit in? Well, I'm going to do something I've always wanted to do, which is um, more of a laid-back sort of a groove type of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a frustrated torch singer. Um, I, um, I've always, you know, I've loved uh, the ballad... Um, uh, Forte or the ballad sort of area of music. I'm not really sure about the word that I'm looking for, but um, I, like I said, I'm a frustrated torch singer. And and suddenly was one of those people say, you know, like how do you feel about suddenly all these years later? Um, even better about it than I did at the time because it was uh, it, it exposed that other side of me. And um, 
you know, it was a very, uh, it was a very autobiographical song. You know, I had reached um, simultaneously with the birth of my daughter, and then by the time she sort of became sort of like, um, you know, approaching pubescence, and she was, you know, seeing me. You know, it was a time in my life where I, I wrote a song about. Um, uh, a man finally realizing that it's okay to to expose himself. Um, a man that's used to being uh, have walls up and being guarded, and and being very uh, suspicious of, of letting people get close. And that's you know that's unfortunately that's a, a legacy of, of early damage, and it's very very um, it's very uh, common in in kids that were damaged at a very early age and, and uh, have witnessed uh, damage, like as in domestic violence and those kind of things. And so, you know, suddenly it's about a man finally saying, well, you know, this is it. This is who I am. There's no use uh, walking away from it or, or trying to, you know, being in denial. Kind of like where we started talking about 70. I mean, why, what possible is there to gain by saying, well, you know, not not mentioning my age or not acknowledging my age. I mean, I've got this far. I'm in real good shape physically and mentally. I mean, I'm in I'm in improving shape spiritually as the years go by, which is a wonderful experience to have. So you know, I'm about to turn seventy, and life's very exciting. It just blows my mind because I'm have grown up listening to to Rose Tattoo and knowing who Angry Anderson is since I was bloody born. I can't, I can't even think of when I first heard of you. And to think that, that such an icon, particularly in the rock scene, that is all about energy, it's all about, you know, you've got guts, you've got fights, you've got glory. It just blows my mind that you're at that age that, that most people who are 70 are, can't even walk down the street without help or, you know, can't drive a car legally anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yes, I know. I mean, there are some people, um, um, particularly when, when, like, when my daughter or one of my sons is with me in the car and I'll go, look at that bloke. I mean, he, he shouldn't be driving a car. Look how old he is. And they go, Dad, he's probably the same age as you or maybe a little bit older. But, um, you know... It's 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 a thing. It's it's a state of mind. I mean, we 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 enjoy these and we enjoy and employ these cliches, um, you know, through the period of our life. And a lot of the times, we don't actually think about what we're actually saying. It's like, you know, honesty is the best policy. Well, yes, of course it is. But you know, do we really explore the depth and breadth of that, and and how vitally important that is to like, you know, your very fibre of your being? But. Um, you know, you, you kind of think of you know, you kind of think about things in 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 the way that your mind is, and that's very you know, that's a very another cliche was you're only as young as you feel you are, or <laughs> the person you are feeling. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's very true because I don't, I don't, I don't see myself as being seventy. I mean, of course, I'm about to turn seventy. What does that mean? Is it my mean my life's over? No. Uh, does it mean that it affects the way I, I view life and, and the passion I have for performing and, and, and being me? I mean, you know, I'm just getting really, really good at being me, you know, having had a wonderful, you know, wealth of experience behind me. So, you know, I'm getting real, real good at it. So there's lots of things about, you know, these cliches is what I'm saying is that, you know, we always say, well, you know, 
you're as young as or as old as you feel. And it's very, very true. And it's became, a, you know, cliche is another word for truism, isn't it? I mean, it, it, things become cliche because they're, they're the small or integrally important truths that everyday life is, is lived around. That's exactly right. Now, you did say before that, that you've, you're working on some new music. Mm. That is, you did mention the word ballad. It yeah. feels like such a dirty word to say, particularly, you know, from a, a rock station like Triple M, but there is so many great ballads. So what direction are you going to take musically? Well, I mean, if, if it wasn't for the ballads, I mean, you know, um, I want to know what love is. I mean, that's, you know, I've, I've heard that on Triple M for years, you know, and other stations. I mean, like, in other words, but popular music, I mean... You know, there's any number of, of the classic, the, some, of the, some of the greatest and the most classic number ones, big, huge records were, were ballads or are ballads. And um, it's, it's an area, of, when you say ballads, I mean, we're talking about um, the new band that I'm talking about, and we should be talking about um, the AA band, um, the current lineup, but um, the new project will be more along... The uh, the sort of mid-paced, mid-ground mid sort of R&B stuff, um, uh, probably, um, the, you know, it'll be based on uh, Rod Stewart and the Faces, which is my f favourite band of all time, and also, you know, my favourite singer and famous uh, favourite lyricist. Um, um, if, if the eye was to pick one person as a singer and a lyricist um, uh, that has influenced me more, probably more than James Brown, um, uh, it would be, of course, Roddy Stewart. Um, so it'll be that, you know, that Van Morrison-y sort of little feedy sort of, you know, that real, that really groove sort of orientated. I mean, Rose Tats, um, which, you know, people sort of started to realise after about the first 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years, when they got past all the bombacity and the, the macoism of the image and the whole, you know, the onslaught of, of, of like relentlessly intense music and, and lyrics that, it, you know, it was, Rose Tattoo was a groove machine and that's why it, was a, it, it is a rock and roll band because... You know, lots of bands, you know, rock, but they don't roll. I mean, you you know, you have to understand that the that that shuffle and that swing that 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 is the essence of rock and roll. And um, I am very very happy to say, and I'll bring it right back to where I want it to be. The band that is going to play um, or is playing um, the this wonderful Rose Tattoo album recorded in 1982 in Brunswick. Um, as close as we can figure, this band that I have now, it rocks and rolls. It is just a groove machine, and it's in the true tradition of real rock and roll. So I'm as happy as a pig rolling around in its own, in its own feces. <laughs> now, you do have the Angry Anderson band, as you did say, um, just to clear it up, if people are thinking the AA band has got no booze, you can still drink at the Angry Anderson band shows. Well, yeah. yeah, it's a pub band. I mean, one of the, th yeah, like, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I remember saying to Angus um, a month or two ago when we were both guests of the Guns and Roses people and um, uh, we were talking about the old days and I, I said to him just laughingly, I said, you know, you know what we should do like, now that we're getting old enough and people are going to let us be something else as what they've, you know, because... 
um, in, a, in a sense, you get, uh, you know, you become a slave to your, your own sort of image, if you like. Um, and, you know, I've always been known as, you know, the rock dog. And, um, and that's all I've been sort of pretty much given permission to do. Although, you know, I run my own race. I can do whatever I like, really. But, you know, I've, I've, when you're in showbiz, you know, you, you play the game to a certain degree. And as long as it brings you satisfaction and feeds your soul... Um, you know, you're not selling out, you're not prostituting yourself. So, but um, I said to him, you know, what we should do is is get together in about 10 years and um, and form, you know, a, a really cool blues band. And we laughed about the concept because that's where old rockers end up. They end up back at the beginning um, because when you start out as a, as a kid, you start out, you know, listening to these influences and, and both with Angus and myself and a, and a whole bunch of other people, our earliest influences were the blues. I remember um, seeing a doco that he did when he was talking about his music and how he wrote and he illustrated how he took riffs from like Howling Wolf or John Lee Hooker or whatever and changed them in a few notes and, and gave them a new tempo um, and uh, and they became, you know, the classic ACDC rips, and it's the same with Rose Tattoo. I mean, Rock and Roll Outlaw is is a um, is a is a really old, identifiable blues riff, and um, it's traditional, so it doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to everyone. And um, when Geordie Leach put that music together to become that song, Rock and Roll Outlaw. Um, we used, you know, a very old and tried and true blues riff and um, just added a contemporary lyric and uh, a contemporary approach to, to playing it. And um, voila, you know, we had a, a really beautiful blues, you know, I suppose, pop song. And you were part of that, of that that makes up that classic Aussie rock climate. You, you, you were there at the start, um, along with, as you're talking about, Angus Young and ACDC. Mm. Now, I spoke to Mark Gable from the Choir Boys a little while ago on the show and he mentioned your name and he said that when he was starting out, the best advice you gave him was that you've got to have a tough guitarist because it's hard out there in the pubs. There's a lot of violence and you need to know how to stand your own. Do you think that that's what made the Aussie rock music so much harder and so much gutsier than what was happening in the rest of the world at that time? And ever since too, um, the Australian the Australian pub rock and roll still is the toughest music that's ever been produced. There's no one's no one's got as tough as we are because it it's like it's like when you go back to I love a sunburnt country. This country built tough people because it's a tough country to survive in, and 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 make make it work. And I mean the the Australian pub scene. You know, there was in our touring glory days. I mean, we play, we played in five or six pubs a week, every week for ten or twelve weeks, and then we'd take a two two week break, and then we'd go back out and we'd play another ten or twelve weeks, and we would tour the country just relentlessly. and And there was a pub on every corner, and you could play it. and And so, what I'm saying is that the 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 Australian culture itself, like it built the character of our farmers, our, our miners, our working people, the people who actually, you know, in a romantic terms, clawed a living out of a very, very harsh and unforgiving land. But it, it also has great beauty and it has a, a great abundance, which is there to be had if you're prepared to work hard enough to have it. And it's the same with the pubs. The pubs were 
you know, wonderful audiences to play to, but critical. Um, if they, if you weren't doing the job, if you weren't producing the goods, um, they walked away. You know, they shunned you because. So the bands, you know, like the ACDC, the Angels, the Chisels, the, the Oils, um, the Tats, uh, Choir Boys. Um, you know, there's a the list goes on. The the, the bands that that went through that 70s, 80s pub grind and came out the the other end, not only smelling good, but, you know, looking good and, and delivering the goods. They're the ones that, um, you know, that the Australian, you know, that great golden era, era that we talk about, which it was, you know, from the sort of like the mid-60s right through to the mid-80s. I mean, you know, I remember, you know, watching Bill Thorpe with the Aztecs uh, when I was a teenager growing up in Melbourne and he was playing, you know, uh, pop shows in, in local town halls and you could feel how special that was. I mean, the only other bands that, that, that came near it were bands like, well, I mean, obviously the Beatles were the top of the heap, but the Stones and the Kinks and the bands that have, have gone on in endured time. And um, But Bill and, and, and Lobby and all those early great iconic performers um, that inspired what became, uh, you know, the Australian pub rock sound. I mean, Lobby Lloyd, in, if anyone, you know, was responsible for bringing into being that wonderful big fat three-chord, you know, tear-your-head-off solos, but the big the rhythm thing that, that, we're, that all those bands we've talked about are based on, it was Lobby Lloyd. You know, I mean, he, he, I remember talking to, to Bill, uh, Bill Thorpe once, and, and he said, I used to play guitar, and then, and then Lobby sat down, you know, with him one day and said, you've got you've to stop treating it like it's just, an in, you know, like a, a, something that's, that you sort of like use. It's got to be part of you. It's got to you. You have to channel you, your energy and your soul out through what you play and how you play it. And it changed the way Bill looked at playing the instrument, but also playing it. And all the great, you know, guitar player f- performers approach the instrument in that way. And it's the same way with with singing. I mean, it's. It, I know it's a wonderfully romantic turn of phrase to use, but. Once you give yourself up to the song, um, you can sing it, you know, because it, it, it's, it's a life force within itself. And, and great rock music and great rock songs, great performances are when you give yourself up to it because it, it can, it's all consuming. And, and once, you, once you allow yourself to become part of that magic, you can create magic because the, the magic of music is is the magic of life itself if if you if you allow it if you if, if you allow yourself to become part of it um it, it rewards you by allowing you to do quite magical things absolutely and i mean i'm talking to you now in the year 2017 and the reason for the chat is mm. because you've recreated the epicness that was 1982 well, yeah, we're, that's what we're attempting to do. Um, we are nicely put, Cassandra. Is it Cassandra or just Cassie? It's just Cassie, but um, you sounded like my mum or dad then. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in trouble, angry. First, yeah, I prank well, call no, you. You know, I am. I am. Yeah, biologically, um, not your father, but <laughs> in a spiritual sense, you know, that's one of the great things about becoming a biological father, which. 
I do uh, talk about when I when I do public speaking because they you know the pivotal moment that changed my life when when I gave up you know uh, drugs and alcohol and bad behaviour and and I had to give up um, you know being on the road um, because I wanted to be there for my daughter and you know I couldn't I couldn't be. Uh, but one of the, anyway, um, I couldn't be what I was and be a good father is what I'm saying. So I, I chose to, to try and be the best father I could be. But one of the things that, one of the parts of magic of the, the creational, the divine inspiration, if you like, or the creational process is that when you become a biological parent, you then, of course, spiritually become parent to, to all children. So that's a, that's a wonderful experience to have. But yeah, the, the thing, the thing, anyway, getting back to the shows, what we, because it was such a, an illuminating moment to find these tapes, which we found years ago. I mean, our our dearly departed um, uh, sound guy, uh, Greg Clark. He he, um, the Clarkster. Um, he uh, he um, discovered these uh, tapes. They were discovered in you know the classic story in a dusty box in the in a, a sh- you know a dark corner in a warehouse, and um, and he. He brought these tapes out, and we and we uh, and they were, you know, of course, all magnetic tapes. So we baked them and dropped them. We didn't know what we had, but we we knew something was there because all you know the boxes were marked live here and live there, and 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 there's outtakes from you know recording sessions. There's a, there's a, a treasure trove of material to be released over the years, and um, uh, we chose. Um, uh, this one, uh, Tats Live in Brunswick, because it, it, it kind of, it, it said so much. I mean, um, there's, um, we're looking for a, um, a live album uh, that had the classic lineup um, with, with Mick Cox in it. Um, and although there is some live stuff uh, that he recorded in the, in the two years uh, before uh, he died, when we were uh, still tour- touring Europe every year. And we were able to get some fantastic, you know, uh, live recordings of Mick in the band. And um, but that, but that, that classic, that scarred for life uh, lineup that took the band to America with the album scarred for life. And that's, uh, of course, Digger when he, he was still alive. Of course, in those days, the, the drummer, the original drummer, Pete, and Rock and Rob Riley, and of course Geordie Leach, who came in to replace Ian Rylands very, very early in the piece. So. It's very much, um, some people refer to that period and that particular lineup as, you know, that's, that's where the best that the, the Tats ever got. I'm not sure that's true, but I certainly do, I certainly do believe that it, it is a magic moment because um, when I listen to it, it's kind of like, you know, I have difficulty listening to live recordings of the band and people go, and I, I go, yeah, I'm, oh, well, that's out of tune and I'm singing flat there and, you know, whatever. And you go, for God's sake, lighten up, you know, like it's it's great. It sounds great. It sounds real. And that's why we didn't, you know, I mean, we could have remixed it, but we didn't. We, we remastered it from the original recording tape, uh, but we didn't touch it. We didn't, you know, do anything about, uh, we didn't overdub vocals. We didn't overdub solos. It's just the way it happened on the night. In fact, there's a couple of tracks that um, actually couldn't make it onto the album because, um, uh, well, one of them, the, the fact that the, the tuning was so bad, we, we got sort of to the first chorus and we had to stop and sort of we all had a bit of a laugh, like it sounded like shit. But there was another one, there was another song too where um, 
um, there's a fight breaks out in the front of the stage and, you know, it was my habit in those days that, you know, because it was often, you know, violence, unfortunately, at, at um, our gigs and a fight broke out and I'll just stop the band and, you know, I will pull them up and, you know, security will come and get them or whatever, but I'll... Oh, you know, I was given these two guys um, a real mouthful and the language was just way, way too blue to even make it. I mean, I know that sort of similar language has been used on albums these days, but not by me. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And now in this day and age, anyone can get their hands on, on an album with streaming. Uh, you just don't want those nice, friendly kids that you see down the street that live next door to you to uh, find out that... Angry Anderson up the street has such a foul mouth. Yeah, well, that's the point. Of it. Well, they do know because they watch houses. But that's that's a that's you acting, isn't it? Certainly. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> without a doubtly. Uh, no, absolutely. I remember um, when my uh, couple of my kids, especially my daughter, who's my uh, greatest friend and also my harshest critic. And she said, "Jesus, Dad." She said, "You know, you swear so much." And she said, "You don't swear like that." I said. Honey, I used to, and I still do when you're not around, but, you know, when I'm with the boys. But um, it's, a, it's a role. It's a character. I said, this, this person, aggro or angry or whatever he's, you know, whatever name he chooses in the, in the fat pizza, you know, and then we did Swift and Shift, and then we did, you know, it, he represents that, that character, that Australian, very identifiable character, you know, where, where, you know, that's his normal way of speaking. It's the only way... Um, you know, that he can express himself, like, um, adequately, you know, in, in his sense. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of real people out there that, that, that are just like that. So, I'm, you know, like I'm playing, yeah, I'm playing a character. I'm, I'm acting. And because of that perception that people have of you, when you are at the local shops just trying to get a loaf of bread, do you have people that are a little intimidated because of this appearance and I guess of this, you know, you're, you're angry Anderson? You're so nice to talk to, but you're Angry Anderson as a name and, and as an image and obviously on television now. Well, you know, it's, I call it the one goat syndrome. Um, there's certain things that happen in your life where, you know, you're never allowed to forget those or, and you're never allowed to, to, to sort of properly outlive them. And, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, there was no doubt that, you know, the rosy tats in their early days were, you know, a real bunch of formidable people and... Um, and, and surrounded by, I mean, our crew were just hard as nails and tough as because they had to be, you know, and so did we. I mean, but it, it was a reputation that um, uh, I suppose in some respects was, was well-earned and well-deserved and in some respects uh, sometimes the, some of the stories, you know, people will say to me, you know, like, oh, you know, I heard this and I heard that and I heard that. So, like, is that true? I go, no. Nah. And, um, you know, because in a lot of cases it wasn't, um, you know, sometimes the stories are bigger than the reality. But, you know, sometimes things happened and, and you think to yourself, like, I don't, I don't want that to, to uh, you know, perpetuate itself as a, as a, even though it may have happened and it was ugly when it did. Um, why allow people to, to believe that, you know, the whole... But what about all the great music we wrote and performed? You know, all that. Like, like I'd rather people remember those things. But um, I think even to this day, um, um, strangely enough, because, you know, 40 years after the event, so to speak, or 35, 
um, it, people still remember the bad old days or the good old days, the good bad old days, <laughs> um, the bad good old days, um, and uh, they still think that you know, um, and you know, you, they don't give you credit for having lived another thirty-four, you know, to thirty-five years of life and been married and divorced and raised children and you know done television and done all you know the things that I've done and have it, and not having that change you of course you know I mean people say you know like I love it when people say to me they say gee god you've mellowed and you go what do you mean mellowed I mean that happened you know 30 years ago didn't you sort of pick up like when it first happened but no they sort of didn't and and and, and in a sense of course um it's fun to be uh, you know, when when I say momentarily, it's sometimes it's fun to actually uh, to be a bit like I was thirty five years ago. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's that thing of it is. It probably would come in handy because old Betty down the street that likes to have a yak. You get to avoid her because she's scared of your tats. <laughs> she's scared of the story she's heard well, about you. I, I, I remember sitting at a at a restaurant the other day. Oh, you know, a couple of months ago it was one of well my youngest son's birthday and he said oh you know i want to go to this restaurant down at manly and we went, yeah right because we always go out for dinner i always cook a dinner and we always go out for dinner but for their birthday so we go down there and we're sitting there you know and these guys came over these young fellows and you know they wanted to talk and have a selfie you know and blah 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 and they said look you know really sorry we'll leave you alone now and i said well thanks very much and and um and they walked away and i said now there you go those three guys young guys waiters they had more ink than the whole Tats band put together. They had more ink on them. They were sort of like inked from head to foot. But, you know, they were unassuming in, in appearance, really, because of the way that they dressed. Um, and, you know, I certainly, the you know, they all had man buns and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> they looked very modern and very, very contemporary, like young, very young, very good-looking young blokes that, you know, um, dressed, you know, they were all dressed similarly, actually, because you know, they were waiters, so, you know, the black and white thing going on. And, um, but they didn't look dangerous. Um, they just looked, um, you know, tattooed, because tattooing is, or being tattooed has become more of a fashion statement these days than, than, a, than, a, than a badge of bravado or a, um, you know, a, like a... A, a gang sort of insignia, you know, that, like it was in the early days when we first started getting tattooed. It was very much, um, you know, a gang, you know, a tribal thing, very, very tribal. I mean, the, the modern day tattooing too, and I've discussed this with Tony Cohen who tattoos me, and because, um, you know, we've, we've been working on my back and to get that finished and um, after all these years. And, um, you know, there was a couple of young, there's a couple of young girls that work in his studio and they were tattooing, young people and I said you know the difference you know we were talking about the difference in why people get tattooed and he said well you know in the old days because you know he's a he's a biker or ex-biker and been a tattooist all his life and he you know he said yeah he said when we got tattooed it it it, it wasn't to fit in these days you get tattooed to fit in I mean, that was to I've stand out yeah, well, in the you know, I mean, when when we when I first got my sleeves done, and it was at at um, Tony's suggestion, I was in his shop. This is going way back into the uh, late seventies, early eighties, and I was uh, I was sitting in his shop, and I was thumbing through 
these new books that he had on tattooing and there was a Japanese one and I fell in love with the the um you know the body the, the body suit the, the yakuza or yakuza or whatever however you like to pronounce it and I said oh Tony have a look at that and he goes yeah man he said I just he said I'd love to get into tattooing like that and I said well start on me <laughs> and so he, so he you know, I didn't go for the rib cage because, you know, because the, the Yakuzar tattoo is, sort of comes around like a, like a coat, has a bare section in the middle, and, and it's got like, you know, three-quarter sleeves and three-quarter le- legs, and it's a body tattoo, but it's like a suit. It looks like a, a garment, really, in, in, its, in its traditional form. But um, I opted out, I, so, you know, I just got my arms done, and... Um, at my back, and um, well, years later, we started on the back, and um, like I said, still work in progress to this day. But um, yeah, it, it was in those days. I mean, I used to. I remember uh, seeing a, an article written years ago um, by the guys in Motley Crue, and they came to see the band. So it was in '83, I think. We were on tour with Aerosmith or GZ Top. I, I think. If it was Motley, it was probably Aerosmith. Yes. And um, and and uh, uh, they, uh, Nikki and um, and Tommy just said that's it, and they went out and <laughs> just got tattooed like sleeves. I mean, they they had a few tattoos as it was, but when they saw, you know, in those days, you know, we we were we were touring, we were wearing the Bonds Blues singlets and um and just a you know a pair of jeans and sneakers so um you know because that was our uniform um so you know there i was with with two full arms and you you know what you could see with the back piece and they just went that's it so you know we were not only influenced them musically but uh, obviously visually yeah i you're the first heavily tattooed person i remember seeing Ever in my life, and I had uh, bikies, aunties, and uncles, and you had more tats than them. And um, and now I'm quite covered in tats, so I have a feeling that my parents are probably going to find where you live and knock on your door and be like, "You're the reason." <laughs> They're going to listen to this and be like, "That's why." <laughs> Cassie, you've got a proper job. You're you probably well. I can just tell by the timbre of your voice that you're a well balanced. Uh, young lady and you you know the thing about it is you see what you and I both understand because we, we've we've been tattooed for the same reasons is that you know it's it, the appearance is just the appearance and it's there for a very you know I mean esoterically speaking it's a very very important part of who you are uh, particularly if you uh, if you choose the extravagance of 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 being tattooed um, it's a very tribal thing, as, as we both understand, and it's a very, it's a belonging thing, and it's it's a, um, it, it's not meant to be. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's it, what it's meant to be is like when you look at me, you know where I belong. I've chosen my tribe, or I've chosen my team, if you like, and like in you know um, going back to the words of scarred for life, and that was a phrase my mother used when she first found out that I was tattooed, and I kept it from her for come from a couple of years actually. And it said, you know, I took a stand for an outlaw's life, and that's what it was in those days. He took that stand consciously. He thought, well, okay, I'm going to be tattooed, which means I am going to belong to that tribe, that group for the, forever. Because in those days, we had no idea that you could remove them. <laughs> 
Of course not. <laughs> so we took it. We took a stand for an outlaw's life, which is why I wrote the song. Because um, you know, my mum. That was the thing she said as she walked away in tears when she realised that you know I was tattooed and uh, and uh, you know it was like that was for gangsters and people in jail and you know people who served in the army, um, whatever. Um, and she, I remember her looking at me and with tears rolling down her cheeks and. She just said, because you, you, you realise, Gary, you're scarred for life. And then she closed the door and went in, you know, went to a different part of the house. And I know I should have felt remorseful, and I was, about making my mum cry. But the thing that stuck me, I ran straight to my room and wrote down, scarred for life. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Jesus, that's a great line. <laughs> Good on mum. Look at you now. And the fact that not only did that just become such a, such a, fa- a f- sorry, a phrase for the band and that rock and roll scene, yeah. but also your image as a band and as an individual has gone on to influenced, influence that rock and roll scene and, and did rock and rollers went from wearing flared pants and silk shirts to having their skin out that was covered in their tribal, that's it, in their tribe it was representing yeah. themselves on their sleeve that's their skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have been a part of the, you know, like if, as you say, like, um, you know, I was, you know, myself and the Tats, we were there right at the beginning and, and we helped, um, we helped, I suppose, legitimise it in a sense because, um, um, you know, so many bands followed suit after that. I mean, we, we, we did find that the, in the early 80s when we, were, when we first went to, um, to live and work out of, um, out of England, we found that there was... Uh, uh, quite a few bands over there that were tattooed, but not not as heavily as we were, not with sleeves, because um, Pete and I were the only. We, we had the we had both had full sleeves, so. Um, You're probably more tattered than Lemmy from Motorhead, wouldn't you be? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he, he. One of the things about it, yeah, it was one of those sort of things because. It, we found this affinity with with other bands that we went over there. I remember we went and saw. Uh, any number of bands that um, that identified uh, with us because they were tattooed lads. I mean, there was there was a couple of ska bands that we used to see in, in uh, when we first went to live in L- uh, London in 1980. Um, and we'd go and see these couple of ska bands. I know from you know like from the from the, the, the you know the terraces as they said, or the you know the the, the towers, you know, the the, um, the public housing towers, and so they were tattooed. But um, not not to the degree that we were. So we we had that you know we had that real brotherhood thing going on with. Um, and like I said, you know when we first uh, you know met uh, the Gunners and um, or the band that were to become the Gunners and the Motleys and you know those kind of people, they were tattooed. So they'd already taken the step, the stand, if you like, in a similar sense to, to the way that we had when we were young. But. Um, um, you know, we, we, we sort of quite naturally, and that's it, again, that's part of the Australian character. We sort of took it to, I suppose, and to use somebody else's words, we took it to another level. And, um, and, and, and that speaks highly um, and, and, and speaks very knowingly of the Australian character too because um, it, we're tough people, not as, as belligerently brutal. We, we're just tough because we're resilient and and you know we understand you know the um, uh, the the masculinity I suppose um, attached to being like that and that and that's you know that's that's what 
that's what builds great countries it's because it's, it's, they're built from great people. I mean, once you start to dismantle that, and, um, oh, you know, I don't want to go into it too politically at the moment, but, um, and I'm going to write about this with the new bands, uh, but once you start to, to, to think and try to intellectualise the process, which is quite natural, it's, it's nature um, at her finest, um, uh, once you start to try and uh, dink with that or change that or, or, or think that you, are, that you know better, that's when it starts to become unravelled. You know, I mean, right now there's attack on, uh, you know, and like I said, I don't want to get too heavy-handed about it in a political sense, but there's a, there's, there's a, a sort of a political correctness sort of movement that, that's attacking um, masculinity and, and particularly, the, you know, the white heterosexual male for some reason. I mean, I, I, you know, I might have my own opinions about why I think it's happening, but, you know, um, once you start to... It's like um, the, uh, a real obvious manifestation is now they're sort of saying, now people are starting to say, well, there's not enough male teachers. Well, it was because they were driven out of the profession. Yep. Because they were supposed to be a danger to children. And now we find out that kids um, in primary school, even, you know, I think that one of my sons wanted to be a, a, um, a daycare carer. Um, he was still, you know, he was toying with the idea of, of being a primary school teacher, but he wanted to go and, and because he loves kids and uh, and he's really really good with kids, and um, kids and animals. So that's <laughs> magnetism. Um, but um, having raised children, they're one and the same. But um, <laughs> that's just a casual observation of my own. But um, you know, and, and he just found it really really increasingly difficult to be a male. Um, and like he said, you know, if I, if I was gay or, you know, if I, you know, particularly if I was gay, he said they'd probably, you know, if, not think that I was a threat to children, but because I'm not. Um, and, um, you know, no, I've, I've, I've talked to, um, uh, to, to guys that are in, you know, like in nursing um, and, uh, and, and in childcare and uh, gay guys, and they said, yeah, it... It's um, once upon a time in, you know, in society, it would have worked against us and now it works for us. So it's, it's kind of, it's a real, you know, it's a real dilemma because um, there is probably, well, I, I think most definitely there is a lack of male teachers in school, in education. But, um, uh, you know, there's, um, there's all this sort of, you know, the PC sort of thing that's driven men away from, like, you know, we need more paramedics, but, um, you know, they're, they're um, constantly worried about, you know, uh, if they admin have to administer to somebody and, and it, you know, it means an intimacy by, you know, removing clothing or, you know, being intimate, like, as far as touching them because these people are, you know, badly damaged, in a, you know, like in mm -hmm. an accident or whatever. I mean, it's a shame that these blokes have to second think what's the proper way to go about this, you know, and do I really, really want to put myself out there in danger of, you know, is, you know, someone turning around and saying, well, that was inappropriate. Well, yep. I'm trying to save someone's life. What's inappropriate about that? Absolutely. They're just trying to do their job. Anyway, absolutely. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry I digress. That is fine. Now, I do want to let you go because I'm sure you've got dinner to cook or a family to sit at a table with, but I just want to want to move it back to the to the modern scene you are like a godfather. You, what I say, like you are the godfather of Australian rock and roll. 
Homegrown is all about. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not kind, I'm just being true. And Australia, uh, Homegrown is Triple M's all Aussie radio show we have here. Yep. What do you think of the Aussie music scene right now? I, I think, like all things, and I'm trying to be diplomatic here, and this is my flirtation with politics coming through. I think that I think it's definitely showing signs of reviving itself. There's a vitality that I've seen in some, not particularly in the heavy and or hard rock, although there is a couple of bands that people are now starting to mention their names and saying, you've got to go and see this band. You've got, you know, and, and there's some of them where, um, like, I think, you know, uh, one of the bands that's on the bill with us at the bridge on May the 11th, getting a shameless plug there, um, when we play the Tats Live in Brunswick in its entirety, track for track, um, one of the bands on it is a guy called Nick Barker, who was around years ago, and he was a um, uh, an indecently uh, good-looking young bloke, and um, he was, you know, sort of brushed off as just being like a pop sort of singer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, um, he, he's emerged now as, a, as an, an older, wiser, far more accomplished musician because he was always a half-decent guitar player. And he's got a band now um, that are really, really doing some really good stuff. You know, it's like traditional rock and roll that I really love. But um, apparently there's a couple of young uh, Turks out there that um, people keep saying to me, listen, you've got to go and see these guys because they're very young, they're very traditional they're very blues-based, um, so they understand the real roots of the music, you know, that we play, um, and they're playing the same thing. So, you know, the, the same kind of influences, if you like, are, are manifesting themselves in bands that, that are, have been only together for three or four or five years, and they're just hitting their stride. So I'm optimistic. I am, you know, I am the eternal optimist anyway, um, and I think that the the same atmosphere, and it's kind of like, you know, there's a section of our community um, that want to discredit, like, Anzac, and, and, and um, uh, you know, the whole Anzac tradition, and Anzac Day, and, you know, the, not the celebration, but the the acknowledgement, the honouring of, of, of that, uh, you know, that history that we have. Um, and shock and horror, but the, the numbers are swelling because of who? Because of young people. Not just young people that were brought up by their mum and dad to acknowledge Anzac Day and, and the, you know, the, the debt that we owe. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the recognition of, of, of the fallen and, and what, you know, what price they paid. It, it's not about bludgeoning your kids into believing something you believe. These people are finding this because it's a soul thing. And people will always come back to what's true and what, what makes sense and the thing that makes your heart beat faster. And um, the thing that <clears throat> chokes you up when you talk about it, the things that really matter, people will always come back to that. You know, they, they just because it's, it's part of that divine creational thing it's it, it's it's in all of us and just it needs it needs a, a the opportunity or a reason to 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 stand up and speak out and be heard and that's the same thing with rock and roll i think that um uh this country produced uh, arguably and, it, and there's no argument in my mind 
you know, half a dozen of the greatest rock bands the world's ever seen, and it will again. And it is, it is, absolutely. You can definitely see that that fresh blood that's coming through, and, you know, luckily here in, in Melbourne and, and anywhere, well, you can get it online, you know. Now you can actually tap into some awesome rock and roll no matter where you are in the country. Mm. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat to you, Mr Thanks, Angry Jackie. Anderson. It's It's been a fabulous time and I feel like we could chat for hours if we had the opportunity. Well, let's create another opportunity a bit further down the track with the new band perhaps, maybe. I don't know. Let's do it.